he has like now been stripped of something essential in his soul, which is his dignity, because not only did he cower and whimper, he is still fired. You know, it's like Cranmer. I mean, at least Cranmer redeemed himself by putting his hand out over the fire. You know, uh, this guy just went down to the Toledo mud hens. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of St. Luke's Anglican Church on Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Wonderful. Yeah, great, Nick. Thanks. We are recording today in the midst of the SBC annual meeting, which we have talked about the run-up to. Um, we don't know most of what will happen. Saddleback has been disfellowshipped. That has been upheld. Um, we're going to have uh, an insider from the SBC with us next week to sort of rehash um, his uh, view of what happened at that meeting. We also are in the midst as Anglicans, the three of us, of this very hard to understand constitutional crisis in the ACNA, which we're not going to address on this show. You have three non-canon lawyers before you now, or at least in your earbuds. Um, We are certainly praying for the ACNA. We wanted to acknowledge that that's happening, but we don't know nearly enough to mention it. We are recording this about halfway through Pride Month. And one of the things that we all three are noticing, and I've seen on social media too, some, some folks realizing that Pride Month, even though we, I think on this show, thought it was going to be the Pride Month of all Pride Months this year is going to be over and above, has actually been quite the opposite, right? Haven't you guys seen sort of a, a dearth of Pride stuff around? Yeah, I mean, it, in my neighborhood, it was, it was supposed to be like, I think last year, it was pretty much wall-to-wall Pride flags. And it, the last year, was the thing was the, and this house we believe. That's yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I think those came out around this time last year in my neighborhood anyway. But no, it's been, it's been very quiet and subdued. And like I think you mentioned it already, the, the, some corporations that initially put up you know pride banners on their Twitter feed or on their public-facing social media pro, uh, platforms took it down like after the first day. And, mm-hmm. and usually in response to a bunch of negative comments and a bunch of pushback. And then you have... I mean, I guess, I guess you you do have one thing that's happened this Pride Month that's unprecedented before, and that's the president yeah. um, hanging the the Pride flag from the White House front and, and center, front and center, like a, a clear violation of flag mm-hmm. flag regulations. Uh, and in today's I, flag I, day, I, today's right, flag day, today's flag, yeah. whatever that, whatever. Yeah. That, I, I apologize. I, mean, I don't know exactly what that means. It just, I that uh, yes, I mean we're seeing a. a Denuded, uh, I guess a less than expected. Don't say denuded, please. (laughs) Less than expected, less than expected uh, celebration here. But at the same time, the powers that be are really pushing back against the pushback. But even the White House, they had an event on the property, and I think they arrested a few folks and have had to. (laughs) um, I'm not sure what the word is, like apologize or say that some of that stuff went too far. Which, of course, we would certainly agree that it did. Yeah, some guy with fake breasts went in. Surprising enough that they actually admitted that it was too far. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess so. It was, it was, it was, it was out of bounds. I mean, the the one guy on Twitter who. Well, at least I saw the video on Twitter. I didn't. It was. It was. It was thankfully, thankfully blurred. But 
Um, he went topless. And I say he because it's a it's a man who just has fake breasts and was flashing them all around the White House lawn, and and it was okay. He said because in D.C. it's not illegal for women to go to, to go topless. But yeah, he was uh, he was told afterwards that he would not be permitted to come back into the White House uh, in the, any further uh, capacity. So. Um, so there was there was, there was some there were some attempts to limit the craziness. I mean, what do you expect when you invite a bunch of mentally Ill, Ill people to come and to your lawn and um, and and, um, and have this celebration? You're going to have those kinds of things breaking out. But that to me though, that was a pretty big. So so while po- the popular sentiment might be under un- moving against in some ways the the Pride Month being shoved down the popular throat, it does seem like the the elites are entrenching. It's, they're 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 mm-hmm. they're, dig, they're digging deeper. They're, they're they want to hold on to this thing. I mean, and that and that I think is it was evidenced in the, in the White House. President Biden is just President Biden is just all in. And if he had his way, well, the laws would be different, and the um, right. lots well, of and, things would be different. And California is attempting to pass legislation to yeah. criminalize parental refusal to affirm the gender of their allegedly transgender yeah. children. See, and that's the kind of thing I think is going to backfire. That's the, that's the kind of thing that might pass, you might pass that in some weird place in California or maybe maybe even might get the whole state legislature to pass that kind of thing. But but that's where I think they haven't done enough work to totally change our culture mm-hmm. to get enough people to, to to look at something like that and say, oh yeah, that's a great idea. No, we're not. We're not. I don't think we're out of their cultures there yet. It could be. I mean, maybe five or ten years down the line that we could be there. But I think that's that's an overreach, and I, I think that that's what happens. Demons over overreach themselves. Mm-hmm. They 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 crucify Jesus, and they, um, and they wind up uh, hoisted on their own petard. And so I I kind of think those kinds of really attacks against the family and children are are not meeting with any kind of popular support at all. Yeah. JD, I've got a question for you. I was just thinking as Matt was talking about when he sort of implied that these culture quote unquote warriors in a sense have jumped the gun, like the the culture's not ready in the way that perhaps they thought it was for the the great dissolution of the family. And we've we've heard a lot over the last few months about or years, I suppose, about how American public culture, notably the public schools, have been engaged in this project of separating parents and children from each other. I wonder, though, going back to Genesis and the the institution of the family, I think I wonder if and what would you say, I suppose, is my question is there a sense in which it will always be too soon because these people underestimate, will always underestimate and cannot fathom the connection between notably a mother and her child, but parents and their children because that bond is a holy one? That's a good question. I mean, I think, I mean, my first reaction to that would be, I hope so. But then again, you see you know, I think uh, I think a meme went around the other day, which was, you know, an 18 year old questioning their or, or transitioning their gender has a mental problem and an eight year old has a parental problem or something like that. You know, and I think that you see a lot of this 
what should be loving care shown for children actually just manifesting in almost blatant self-worship because there is a cultural cachet that comes with having in, in certain circles with having a um, non-binary child, you know, or a trans child, I mean, or something or something like this. And so I do think that when you're messing with the creational order and, and mocking it as, as they're doing with attempting to take away any sort of parental rights that you have, you've dehumanized, you know, you're, you're attempting to dehumanize um, and diminish something of the remaining goodness of, of natural theology, for lack of a better word. I mean, you see, this is the first step that all totalitarian regimes have taken is to try to get the children away from parents, you know, and it's also interesting to watch, I was going to say, the sort of immigrant communities pushing back um, Mm -hmm. without any sort of hesitation that you that, that you find in some even quote unquote Christian communities to some of this ideology. You know, you see some of the the Muslims and the Armenians and the um these I'm mean, just saying the communities that have been have um have been videoed on various Twitter uh, you know, reacting very strongly against the public school system that's trying to will indoctrinate their children. And so I'm very grateful for that sort of common grace being uh, extended through, you know, whether they're they're Christians or Muslims, you know, there's still a a shared conception of the goodness of the family. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I have to think more about that because I do, you know, on one hand, I want to say yes, that if you touch this third rail, you're going to, you know, unwittingly uh, evoke more of the wrath of God. Uh, On the other hand, you see at the very point where, that third rail should be uh, a guardrail. We see parents failing, you know, husbands and wives, or, or at least mothers and children, particularly, you know, seem to be failing so much so that it's almost a, a truism now that when you see like a four or five or six year old, quote unquote, non-binary kid at something like a drag show, it's invariably with his mother, you know, sitting there or her mother, like just sitting there right there staring at a half naked man gyrating in front of them and there's like a sense of elation and joy and so i think there's a i think Mm -hmm. i think that there's right to be recognized that we're dealing with something more powerful than an ideology when it comes to our actual created order um that being said i also think it points to the shattered image of god Mm -hmm. the fact that you could have the very goodness turned into uh, the means by which these children are being sacrificed once again well you're always going to have the women who will allow Solomon to split the baby. Like There will always be those outliers. But on a societal level, it seems like, well, to use your hopeful term, I hope that the indwelling Holy Spirit and the created order of families may be enough to resist the final cut of children mm-hmm. from from their parents. Well, and to be fair, I mean, we are we have generations. We've talked about this a lot. That have at the very least been reared, married, and and raised children in a in a, a version of a, a Christian society. You know, Christendom to a certain degree. I mean, at the, at the very least, one that that um, prioritized uh, monogamy over adultery and you know child rearing uh, in quote unquote moral ways. You know, and so we do. I, I think it's going to take. To Matt's point, more than even a generation or two to undo, you know, centuries of um, sort of development and sort of long uh, victories in this direction. And so I think in one hand, it's shocking how quickly things have changed. But on the other hand, to your point, Nick, I think that 
I probably fall afoul of this, watching just sort of the the radical fringe and aided and abetted by the cultural elites, Matt, you're right. I mean, the, the mainstream media is all in on this. You know, the New York Times, you can't read an article in the New York Times or the Washington Post or the um, or even USA Today without being just bludgeoned with this type of just unquestioned support for everything that is being asked for us to believe through this trans ideology in particular. That being said, there are still a heck of a lot of people in America, and not all of them are being swayed and or care at all about what the New York Times says or the um, you know Washington Post. Now, will that trickle down as um, ideas do from sort of an elite level to a popular level? That remains to be seen. But what is good news in light of that is that on a very popular level, like namely Bud Light level, Target <laughs> level, and Amazon, Google, the Google, whatever it's called level, it seems to be, that's right. It doesn't seem, it seems to be if they're following market forces at all, it's not an overwhelming slam dunk to just get totally behind this, this ideology, even if the New York times is behind it in the, in the Washington post. Now that's obviously, as you said, Matt, enraging our betters, you know, the people that we're supposed to look up to and just take our orders from in regards to what is right, meat, right. And good. But, um, you know, what is the, uh, there's a sort of a delicious coping um, wine that you can watch, you can sort of see on Twitter with people who are just, just can't understand why those, you know, those backwoods um, fundamentalist Christians can't get with the program, you know? And so, again, I don't look forward to them being uh, weaponized and or uh, strengthened by, you know, the power of the federal government, which is very concerning. But um, as of now, we still live in a democracy, and so there's a chance that the federal government will at least have slightly different priorities in some part of our lifetime, if not the next election. And so my prayer is that hopefully some sort of moderation comes at the, at the very least at this point to the next White House, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican, who says, you know, maybe, maybe to your point, Matt, we have pushed back a little far. Maybe next time we'll just have a we won't have any flags up at the White House. You know? Right. But well, like, I mean, I mean, yeah, but I guess the danger of this whole thing is the Overton window shifts. Like even if the, even if the, the massive popular pushback, you know, gets, you know, target to move their, you know, tuck pants back to the back row or back, back of the store this year, they'll be back next year. And maybe the, maybe the, Maybe, maybe, maybe the middle of the halfway store. back. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so that's how, that's how these things work. I mean, that's how revolution well, yeah. works. And that's what we talked to, um, I talked to my rector's forum this past Sunday, you know, that um, preacher that was arrested for just protesting the um, the pride parade, you know, he was he was eventually let off without any actual charges. But like the point of the arrest was to help silence future. Um, I mean, I don't want to get thrown in the back of a police car and hauled off to prison, you know, yeah. it, it, I mean, and that's what the precedent being said. And similarly speaking, you know, the. Um, that Dodgers baseball guy that we talked about um, who had to recant and then was still fired. You know, he still was fired. If you saw that um, evidently it's because he wasn't very good. It was related to his performance on the field, JD wink, wink, nudge. That's nudge. right. No, no, but they did indicate that there had to be some sort of factor that tipped the hand. Um, and I thought, you know, this was, this was, um, was a fascinating case study of like, you know, you shouldn't lie in the first place. Like if he didn't believe if he believed what he said in the post, then he should have left it up right. and defended that and just gotten fired straight out for saying that. Um, and, but instead, he has like now been stripped of something essential in his soul, which is his dignity, because not only did he cower and whimper 
he's still fired. You know, it's like Cranmer. I mean, at least Cranmer redeemed himself by putting his hand out over the fire, you know, but it's like, uh, this guy just went down to the Toledo mud hens or whatever it is. And, uh, <laughs> and so he has, to, but I think, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I was having a conversation with someone about this today. I still stand corrected and I, um, you know, obviously I get corrected all the time, but this was one that I was very surprised by. And that, that when men started injuring and beating girls, high school girls, and particularly like elite communities, you know, sort of, um, you know, the Westchesters and Greenwich and sort of, you know, feeder schools for Ivy League and like the places where people put a lot of time and money and energy into into grooming their their children for um, places of power. When those places, the 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 field hockey teams and the the swim teams and the soccer and, and they got in lacrosse got infiltrated by men and women started getting hurt by um, delusional 16 year olds, I thought that that would be it. And yet what we've seen is this collective rolling over, you know, in these very places. And I mean, like UPenn, I mean, UPenn's a, a wonderful school, you know, it's very hard to get into as elite program. And we saw that happen. And, and I have still not really been able to figure that out. Not that I would be given to, but I thought for sure, you know, progressive liberal fathers would still not want to see their daughters, you know, head smashed by a 230 pound 16 year old guy with a lacrosse stick or whatever. But there we are. I mean, it's, and so I, I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm out of answers in that. I mean, respect. it's important to realize, and I know most of our listener listeners do, but this is, this is a this is a strategy. And, and part of, it's a strategy that's been around for a long time. I mean, the, those, those on the left, the diehard, ideological left see the family as as not some kind of inherent essential aspect of the, of the human community but as a construct I mean something has been constructed it's, it's a it's an artificial construct that has been around for a long time of course but because it's just a social construct it's not essential to to the human person so so the what you do with constructs that are inhibiting the revolution is you deconstruct them and the the way the way to, the way that they found which has been quite effective to do that herbert marcuse first suggested i think maybe i think it was marcuse who suggested it is use sex sex is going to be the thing that will drive parents or kids against their parents um that will set wives against husbands that will set all, the whole family unit at odds and wed them to the state because if you can get if you can sexualize children, this is like back in the Herb Marquis. This is back in the sixties when the, he's, he's writing this. If you can get the children looking for this to the state for rescue from uh, traditionalist parents, then you've got kids who are ready for the revolution. You got kids right. who are going to uh, who are going to well. And it's also a technique. I mean, if you read this, I forget this first. Unwin is the name. It's called Sex and Culture. It's like a nine hundred page book. Do you remember the first name? At any rate. Um, he points out how no civilization that has ever rejected monogamy, and he goes back till you know till known human history, um, has ever been able to maintain the over three generations. So we're we're midway into the second generation of the sexual revolution, and we have one generation left. Um, but it's called um, uh, it's called Sex and Culture, and I have I've read in it. I've listened to more podcasts about it than I. I mean the books book is intimidatingly long and I just have so much time and so little to do. I mean, strike that, reverse it. Uh, but at any rate, um, but, uh, you know, what's interesting too about um, God's design for um, our bodies is that if you can break down 
particularly men at this sort of self-control level, if you can actually sort of um, sort of shame and destabilize them through uh, sexual manipulation, um, then you have to have an alternative authority structure that goes in because if you're not able to govern yourself, well, then someone else has got to govern you for you. And so it's unsurprising that there is a concerted effort by these increasingly totalitarian governments to undermine any sort of self-sufficiency, beginning with that which separates us from the animals, as Augustine would say, our ability to rise above our base desires with regards to sex. But it's not just sex. You know, we talked about this gambling pleasure of any kind, uh, you know, if you can wear someone down, and I'm not even saying it's in exactly, um, I used to say I didn't think it was intentional until I read an article talking about how when the CIA counterinsurgency people went in before a uh, movement to destabilize traditional, quote unquote, shame-based cultures, what they would do is they would turn on um pipe in pornography into all of the local television channels and sort of paper areas with various sort of things that would then cause great levels of shame for quote unquote traditional men in these places, which would be a, a psyop. I mean, I think that's actually the article. I don't, I can't link it. It was like, it was the whole sexual revolution and government psyop to take away our freedoms. And it's like, if you take away the control of a man and a woman and then by extension, you destabilize any confidence they have in raising uh, a next generation of human beings. Well, then, of course, it makes sense that you will almost willingly give up and abdicate that responsibility to some quote unquote expert, because it will seemingly absolve you of any, well, responsibility. And then by extension, accusation of wrongdoing, you know, so you have these parents who say, well, I don't know, you know, I send my kids to the public school, what else was I supposed to do? And it's a very difficult, and in fact, probably only Christian thing to be able to say, I made a terrible mistake, you know, and I pray that the Lord would forgive me for abdicating my responsibility. And I have got to spend the rest of my life rehabilitating my relationship with children that I unwittingly sent off to um to Molech you know this is what and this is what for generations people have done and you know that is we've talked about it before with the abortion debate there's so much collected guilt and unforgiven error that is being shared across the culture right now that people are starting to freak out and people are starting to 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 break down you know and i think that's in part what we're watching is that eventually god is not mocked um you know that's the promise and so if generationally you have been uh, persisting in patterns of unbelief that have become that are that are wreaking havoc on your own soul and then by extension the people who were given to you uh, to shepherd. Well, then you have to get saved, or else you're going to to die. You know, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna try to end this is is in some capacity, whether that's by escape or by actuality. And so what we see is people, you know, running from reality. And, you know, we at the very least have something to offer them, even if it's uh, like we preach initially a very painful word, but it's not the only word, because there is redemption, even in the midst of the most wanton and absentee parent. But, it, you know, at some point, the the prodigal had to get far enough away to turn around. And what we're watching are people just continuing to run. Matt, you said a few minutes ago that the cultural claim right now is that family is merely a social construct and therefore needs to be deconstructed make the positive case why why is that not true why is the family not simply a construct but indeed something that is designed by our creator 
Well, here's where I think we have a lot of room for optimism because you know, if you if you are functionally atheist um, and you do think the father mother child unit is favored because of the bourgeois system or whatever you think, well, that's a theory. That's certainly an ideology. As Christians, we would hold to be diametrically opposed that the that the mother father child unit. Um, and of course, the extended family that flows out of that was given to us in the garden when God joined Adam and Eve together uh, as one flesh in the first marriage and told them to increase and multiply. That was the beginning of civilization. That was the beginning of the family. And so, and so that's hardwired into our into our souls, not just into our DNA. It's into our, hardwired into our souls and, and bodies. So, so here we have a really cla- two, a clash of two worldviews, and uh, in in the the. I guess the, the question is going to be who's right. If the, if the if the ideological left is correct, then there's no reason why you, we shouldn't just see everything crumble, uh, everyone go along to get along, family be completely redefined, and people be okay with it. If we're right, then there's they they can push against this all they want. They they're not going to be able to un, to denature human beings. They're not going to be able to to take apart what God has created and make it as if it isn't because it is. They're, they're, they, then you have a large group of people fighting against an undergirding true reality that they they have no grasp of and they think they can take it down but they're but there are they're fighting against i don't know it's like uh they're they're fighting against this they're trying to, they're trying to chop down a mountain with an axe with an axe and it's not going to work so i think we have we have the whole as christians we have we we know why there's family and why and That's why right. the family is a mother and a father because God made it that way, um, and we know that that um, God made it that way to provide it for the whole world the picture of the gospel. So not only is it inherent in the human person, it's also something that God is invested in protecting. So this is this is this whatever tower of Babel these people are trying to build is gonna it's gonna come crashing down. Um, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, and the only problem there is like what James Lindsley says and had his book is that. The ideology cannot stand, but you can do a lot of damage over oh, yeah. 60 years of a false ideology, you know? And so there's just so many, um, I mean, hopefully yeah. not as many as they say, uh, or at least they imply have these children that have gotten their bodies, you know, forever disfigured, or at least until the resurrection. But, you know, even if half of them, even if the numbers are half, all right, it's still, it's still, I mean, unbelievable what mm-hmm. what is happening to people around here. But I'm with you, Matt. I think that we're back in a situation like the early church was uh, in terms, you know, again, I keep referencing always Rodney Stark's Triumph of Christianity book. I, I must reference that once every other show. It's just a, it was such a poignant um, uh, book for me at the right time. And part of his argumentation is that the attractional model for, for Christians was simply this, it was that our lives are miserable, cruel, brutish, and short, to quote Thomas Mann, right? Um, and the Christians seem to invent something of a hope that the peace that the world did not know. And so whether that was through marital kind of um, reconciliation or uh, child rearing and sort of fam- familial affection or just simply f- peace in the face of, of confusion and chaos and dying, yeah. yeah. And he talks about how that was over generations, you know, was something that slowly built um, the Christian community to the point from it went from three people, obviously, to to overtaking the entire Roman Empire in 300 years. And so, um, you know, there's more than just that, but it wasn't less than that. And I think this is where we are with people. 
you know, it's funny, we're, we're Liza and I are celebrating our 20th anniversary this year. Y'all are right behind us, Nick, in yeah. that year ahead. And, you know, people, I, I forget, I, I must look a lot older than I feel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I shouldn't say, but people say, um, you know, oh my, you know, it, they do politely say that's, wow, you know, you must have gotten married really young. Well, I was like, well, if you think I got married young, you should look at Liza because she, she was, you know, 22 when we got married. But I just take for 100% for granted that we made it. Um, and I don't not, now I take less for granted, but that, you know, that there's a persistence, there's a there's a hopefulness, there's a joy. I mean, you know, not without trials and challenges, but nevertheless, our marriage in my life is the, as I use this analogy, the the lighthouse, you know, emits the storm, you know. I mean, obviously, we have to keep the lighthouse, you know, under repair. But that is such an increasingly preposterous idea for people you know i mean i know people who are who are in their mid-40s are already in their second or third marriage at this point and again i don't have contempt for them but it's like the idea that somehow there would be this otherworldly confidence that would be a given is something that we have to give to the world not just in marriage but child rearing and peace in the face of despotic rulers and like you said nick lions you know i mean maybe hopefully not literally but but certainly threats from California about taking your children away if, if they don't comport to the gender ideology of your choice. And so, you know, again, we could talk at length about um, hashtag postmill, Matt, but, you know, those those yeah. early um, those martyrs that were sitting there, you know, being attacked by the the gladiators, like the people sitting in the pews. I think I did I say this last week. I said this in the rector's form, at least they didn't. The people sitting in the Coliseum didn't think that they were under any threat of losing their livelihoods or their lifestyle. And yet you know, a couple of generations later, and all of a sudden you've got um, baptized Constantine bringing in uh, Christianity and, and the whole world is upended. And so, again, I wish that it were not under the shadow of the cross, this promised victory of God until the his enemies are made his footstool, but nevertheless it is. And so we may have a harder road ahead of us than perhaps our grandfathers could have ever imagined, but I still think that you're right, Matt, the joy and the confident hope that was set before us has only been deepened during this confusing time for me uh, in a surprising way, frankly. I thought, I don't know, if you if you described to me what I'd be reading in the newspaper 10 years ago, I would have wondered if I was on serious sort of, you know, medication to keep one foot in front of the other. And yet, just as promised, um, you know, there are days and there are days, but fundamentally, it's been a devotional time to have my confidence deepened in both the scriptures and then obviously the promise contained therein. And so... I don't know. I hope that's the case for our congregations. And I certainly pray that it's the case for our children. And I know that that's what we're going to persist in and, you know, come what may. We're doing baptisms in church on Sunday. And I was just reflecting as you were talking, J.D., about the kind of amazing symbol that is to be welcoming children to the family of Christ and to his table as the world rages insanity outside. And um, it's a truly hopeful thing to put somebody under the water and say that we know how this story ends. Mm -hmm. And it ends with new life in Christ, literal new life, nothing less than that. That's such a hopeful word that we have. And obviously we don't do baptisms every single Sunday, but we proclaim that good news every single Sunday, that there is new life to be had in Christ, even in a world such as this one. Amen. Well, I could have said it better myself, but I didn't. So, um... <laughs> Just kidding. That was beautiful. I think we could probably get end on that one. Yeah, I think so. 
Well, that's going to be all the time that we have for ourselves this week. Thank you for listening to Stand Firm this week. If you want to keep the conversation going, you can be in touch with us. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Please make sure to tune in next week for our uh, SBC annual meeting wrap-up. That is going to be a fun time. Thank you to J.D. Koch and Matt Kennedy. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh, 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 oh,